no pressure. Over to you. Yeah, thanks a million. Well, at least it's a friendly group anyway that I know everyone, so that's perfect. So um, talking to you about Create Space, it is my new favourite book. Um, and I've read it probably twice in, you know, well, back to front and I've been dipping in and out over the last few months. Um, I just want to talk to you about why I'm going through this book. So I, I, I bought it the first time we went to Waterstones to buy a book um, during COVID. So it's been a good few weeks back now at this stage, you know, when the shops first started reopening. And I look at all productivity, time management, that's my thing. I love it. Like if you can get more effective, you can get more done. That's the name of my game. And then I saw this and it was create space. And I was like, space? Oh, I, I, I kind of want a little bit of that, you know, um, especially when the subtitle was how to manage time, focus, find focus, productivity and success. But yeah, she talked about creating space. So that really just piqued my interest. That's why I bought the book, right? So, and I don't regret it because I've learned so much from it. I have six pages of notes and um, I'm going to try to do my best to do it justice. So the book is divided into four parts, okay? So there's space to think, space to connect, space to do, and space to be. And um, Derek Draper, who's the author, um, will be suggesting that you need to create space for each of these things if you want to be successful in leadership and in your career um, and in managing, um, I suppose, your career and your life overall. Okay, so Derek um, is a coach. Prior to that, he did a lot of work um, in politics and he also um, did a lot of work in the corporate world. So he's got quite a good mix. Um, and you can definitely see some of that come through. Um, and what he does is he has a very simple approach to the book. There's four areas. Each of the four are broken down into three mini topics. And for each of them, he has a story, which is a client of his. So it's amalgamation of clients, obviously. So client story um, tells you the tale, tells you the problem, how he solved it, then goes deeper into the topic and then gives you practical tips. So... It's very, very nicely laid out. You can dip in and you have a kind of a an entire section, start to finish, completed um, if you wanted to take it on its own. So the underpinning thoughts for the book are we have become the first generation in 1,000 generations of human beings who, rather than having the need to fill space, have the need to create it. And he says that before you set out to grow as a leader, you must first create the space that you will grow into. And it's the priority task that we should all undertake. So the first space that he talks about is the space to think. And when he started creating this model, he actually mapped it to leadership frameworks and he did a study of 50 different leadership frameworks and he mapped each of his spaces to leadership qualities that would be in standard corporate frameworks globally, right? So the space to think, he says, links to decision-making, problem-solving, strategic thinking, creativity and innovation. And then within that, the three subtasks are space to reflect, space to learn, and space to decide. So again, for me and the type of material I normally be reading in the space I work, it was so interesting that a book on productivity and time management started with space to reflect and learn, because usually it's, let's go do this, you know, how much can we get done? So that, that's what he started with. So um, in terms of space to reflect, um, it's really all about self-reflection. Um, he quotes John Dewey and I will be putting some quotes here because there's some brilliant stuff in it 
So John Dewey says, you do not learn from experience, you learn from reflecting on experience. And he talks a lot about reflection not being something that you have to set aside a long period of time for, but rather there's multiple levels of reflection. So there's on-the-job reflection and then, I suppose, deeper reflection. He talks about people who, at the end of a meeting, would just take five minutes to think, how did that go? How do I feel about it? What do I want to do next? Really just bite-sized um, moments that you take before you move on to the next thing to help give you that space, I suppose, to um, recognise what you're thinking. Um, and the benefits to doing it on a regular basis is greater clarity about what you're doing and why. Now, he says that there's four aspects that require attention, and he uses these four aspects in a few different parts of the book. So that's uh, the temporal space, so the time, and the physical space where you're going to do it, the relational space, obviously if you can help, and then your psychic space, your head space. So in the temporal space, he does kind of talk a lot about this on-the-job reflection and suggests that we should encourage more of that in our daily work. Um, there was a study done that he referenced in the UK where people were asked to spend the last 15 minutes of their time reflecting instead of doing 15 minutes of extra work. When they did that, the productivity increased by 25% within 10 business days. And they checked back a month later and it was maintained. Now, side note, not in the book. I actually went and implemented this after reading the book. So I have uh, a 30 minute at the end of my calendar day now, um, which I call Reflect and Wrap. And it has made a massive difference. So, you know, it's very practical and very doable. So I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then he suggests obviously setting aside time for deeper reflection and how you do that depends on who you are um, and also into the space. So, you know, some people like to meditate. Some people reflect while going for a cycle. Some people reflect by cooking. Some people reflect by cleaning. And on that topic, he doesn't get very prescriptive about what you should do, only that you should find the space for you to do it and to, I suppose, make a conscious decision to do it. Um, he talks about things like uh, four-box breathing, you know, to get into the, the frame of mind, a very standard thing. But what I thought um, interesting was um, over you, to you, Aoife, on the relational space, who can help? So some people like to reflect internally. So they say, let me think about it and I'll come back to you. But other people reflect externally. So they spew a random stream of consciousness at somebody else. And that's how they do their reflection. And as a leader, it's kind of important to know who on your team needs to reflect on something in their own, but also who on your team needs you to sit opposite them while they just talk, 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 because actually that's them reflecting. And I thought that was not something I knew before anyway, definitely. So I just thought that was very interesting. And guess what? I'm the latter, right? So I, I said, right. so that's reflection. And then the second one is um, space to learn. So now that you're reflecting on, on things that are happening, now you have to kind of think, okay, what do I need to learn more about, both about myself or about the situation around me? So it's the next step. Um, and he does talk a lot about the fear of failure and how sometimes we're afraid to make space to learn and discover new things because that will prove that we didn't know it all or get it all right in the first place. And this huge fear of failure that has become so pronounced um, with, with some kind of corporate teams and just some cultures 
um, and that the fear, fear of failure can hold you back from learning. So what he suggests you do is to carve out time every month for CPD, continuing professional development, even if it's not a company thing, just do it yourself. Um, and again, he talks about the introvert versus the extrovert. So um, to start identifying, are you an introverted learner who's happy to learn on your own or somebody who needs something like this? An extroverted learner who likes to have a study group or form of learning. And again, he suggests that to really be successful in creating the right space for learning, you have to, I suppose, first acknowledge who you are and what you need. And then he talks about, of course, the different mindset. So the fixed versus growth mindset. So, you know, somebody who thinks they already know what they need to know versus the person who's curious and actively pursues new knowledge. So I thought it was very interesting after this and um, stop me by the way if this is going off in the wrong direction, but he talked about the different learning styles as well. So if you're going to be creating space to learn, you have to, I suppose, make sure you're learning in a style that's most effective for you. Um, so he says you might have a reading style. So he summarized these. So a reading style, which would be like choose books, watching, so videos, flowchart, a listener style, somebody who likes ideas explained verbally to them and then discusses them. So again, a lot of two-way learning, sketching and doing. And for me, I suppose, again, the listening learning style is something that I would have not seen as much in the past and probably seen skimmed over. So I just thought it was good that he called out all types and then suggested that you at least identify which ones are best for you. And then again, which ones are best for your team? And how is that different? And then he finishes off this section by saying, if you want to learn, find a teacher. So, you know, the fact that you don't need to have a coach, you don't need to have a mentor, you don't need to have a training program. You have the world at your fingertips. Find somebody. There's somebody already doing it, somebody already who knows it, who's tried to pour, reach out, even if they're not an official something, you know, just go after that person. So then the third area within this space um, is space to decide. So if you think that you've created the space in your day, in your week to reflect, maybe maybe the doctor might reflect in wrap 30 minutes, right? And you know how you're learning, okay, and, and you're using that, then of course you should be able to inform better decisions. So um, deciding is the informing a clear goal. So <clears throat> I'm I, I, I found it very interesting that one of the studies you referenced said that we make 35,000 decisions a day of which about 200 are food alone. Now, I thought the food was going to be more than 200, um, but that's a lot. And he has a couple of different um, suggestions around um, deciding, but he said that when you're creating space to, to make good, speedy decisions, so not getting bogged down in decision fatigue, not getting bogged down in you know poor decision-making and decision debt, I suppose, which is just putting it all off. He says you have to accept that decisions will cause you anxiety sometimes because the status quo. So you are going to get uncomfortable and you just have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with the fact that you will never have all the information that you need because if you were to do that, you'll never make the decision and that you'll get it wrong sometimes. And that's okay. And suggest that a lot of us have, again, goes back to fear failure. We've forgotten that. We're waiting for the perfect decision to know everything and then like the absolute perfect. So in terms of the four spaces then, temporal space, the physical space, relational and psychic space on this one, on the time piece, he goes back to the old saying, let me sleep on it. 
So actually just creating that space between when being asked something and making the decision, just giving your, your intuition, your subconscious, your gut, the chance to do its job, you know, and to weigh in. So the next thing he says is to balance your head with your heart. So balance data and facts with your own intuition. Um, but one of my favorite things is when he says the physical space, the where he talks about decision jumps. Okay, so you've got a decision to make. You've done all your SWOT analysis. You've done all the lists. You've slept on it. You just don't know, right? You just don't know. So you get two pieces of paper. You draw a circle on each of them. And you write the decision, a, like choice A and choice B, in one each circle, right? You put them on the ground and you jump between them. So you physically jump into the choice or walk, right? Um, and sit with it and see how you feel. And then you jump from choice A over to choice B and stand there and see how it feels. And your gut will help you over thing. And I thought that was brilliant. I love that. So yeah, so decision jumps. Um, and then the next thing he suggests around decisions is to delegate. That not only should we be delegating work, we should be delegating decisions. And we should be, I suppose, building the team and the network around us that we can feel comfortable doing that because we can't be making all the decisions all the time. And I think that's equally important for work and life in general. So I just thought that's very good. In terms of the psychic space, again, he just says to be aware of the biases as well. So just the, the general biases he does with all 12 out, I'm not going, or he's 12 of them out, I'm not going to go through them now, but he lists them. And he also then adapts one of my favourite tools, the SWOT, which I use for about everything. He's adapted it for decision-making. Brilliant. So, um you know, it's just, again, just looking at the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats of the decision. So the last part in the space to um, think is just to be aware that the three types of, of thinking uh, require a different focus. So when you're reflecting, you open up to it, then you close somewhat as you finish your reflection, but you still kind of stay open, you know, for more, just to kind of take more in. Learning is when you open up to something new and you keep you stay open. So you continue learning, you know, you keep going. And then he says decisions when you open up and then you close because you make a decision, you close the loop. So throughout the book, he's got like reflection, he's got a reflection cycle, a decision cycle to kind of help you kind of guide through different steps that you could do. So the reflection is a loop, it's a it's an ongoing cycle, whereas the decision is closed as a business point. So that is space to think. So then, once you've all your thinking done, then you're going to connect. Okay, um, COVID compliance connection comes next. Um, and this is having the emotional capacity to share what you have to offer with others. And here now we're looking at the leadership qualities of collaboration, motivation, influencing, and teamwork. And three spaces are space to check in, space to share, and space to relate. So when he's talking about checking in um, with yourself and developing your own self-awareness, He's got a lot of practical tools and I'm going to talk to you about my two favourites. Um, so the first one, one that I haven't seen before, um, is the blue sky. So I don't know if any of you have heard the blue sky way of thinking before. Um, so it's to um, take a moment and ask yourself, what does your sky look like? Is it blue? Is it grey? Is it cloudy? Is it sunny? Is it stormy? And how is your sky changing above your head? Um and I just thought that was very interesting in terms of, I, I know there's a general, a lot of visualizations just in general, but I just thought the sky was quite a nice analogy to, 
to, to look at. And I think some people would really relate to it. And then the second one I thought was really good was how old do you feel right now? So if you're in a, yeah. So if you're in a certain situation, I know, Sarah, I know, right? So if you're in a certain situation <laughs> and maybe you're angry or you're frustrated or you're whatever, and you don't know what you are, how old do you feel? So maybe you feel 16, like your 16-year-old self. Well, what was going on when you were 16 that's making you feel that way? And how do you relate that to the present situation? And how can you connect those? And I just thought that was very good. And I've been using the how do you feel right now a lot lately. And it's a very good way of checking. Um, so I suppose now would be a good time to mention that he talks about core pathogenic beliefs all through the book. So in terms of your negative beliefs about yourself, that would have been rooted in your past and childhood and stuff. I'm not going to go too deep into that because honestly, I need a second book club session. But he does talk about that the whole way through. But um, the whole do feel right now, I thought was very powerful. And then just keeping on that theme, he talks about uh, strengthening your internal ally versus feeding your internal critic and maybe naming them both. So once you've connected with yourself then, so once you know how you're feeling and why you're feeling it, then it's being able to share it with others. So he talked about a team that wasn't performing and they were a lovely team. They were really nice and they were all really nice to each other. They were, they were so nice like, and everyone had only good things to say but they weren't getting the results. And basically it's because the person leading the team created a culture that we were nice people. So it wasn't a safe place to have conflict or a safe space to question each other. So they never then started realising their full potential because they all just kind of kept it all uh, nice. So what he says was um, that teams are the central unit of an organisation these days. And research has shown now that colleagues spend 75% of their days in communication with each other. So as a leader, you really have to start figuring out the team dynamic and the impact that we make on people, you know, as a leader. So Google studied 180 teams to study to find out what makes a high performing team. And the sauce, the secret sauce that they found was psychological safety. A shared belief within a group or team that the team environment is a safe space in which to take interpersonal risks. So that's what actually created a high-performing team, not their skill mix, you know, not their background, not their personality type even. It was the space. So what you suggest you do if you're a leader is to ask yourself what is permitted or allowed in the team, you know, um, who set the rules and why, um, and what are they trying to protect from happening? And challenge those to make sure that you're creating the right space to share. And he also has a lifeline tool in the book, um, which kind of charts your life over every five years and has your work and, and, and your personal life and everything. And he makes a suggestion that maybe some teams would actually share their lifelines with each other to start to kind of really sharing who they are and to build that, that safe space um, for connection. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. And then um, the next part is to um, to look at reflection um, again. So um, this is in terms of your relationships and your connection. So he talks about doing stakeholder mapping, another thing which I get really excited about. Um, I love a good stakeholder map, put an extra spot analysis that I sorted for the night, um, <laughs> especially if you can time, time track it for me. Um but no, he says to draw a circle in the middle with your name and put the other uh, circles around the names of all the people, right? And have a line connecting you to those people. But then 
He says, don't stop there, which is where I normally stop. He says, create an outer periphery with the people who are in less contact with, but still need to have a good relationship with in order to get your work done. So this could be somebody in accounts now or, you know, the receptionist, just people who you don't talk to that much. And then he says, rate each person on a scale of one to 10 based on how good and for how good it should be. And to ask yourself, oh, this is very interesting. So I typed it out exactly. He said, what am I contributing to the problem? Where am I hiding, lying or faking? So to get really honest with yourself about the space that you're creating with that relationship and how you can prove it. So I, 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 thought that was, I felt a bit uncomfortable after that. So I thought that was quite good in terms of challenging it to, to develop the relationships. So flying on through with space to do. Now, I'll be honest with you, I spent less time on this part of the book because I am a doer and I needed more of the first two spaces. Um, but there's actually some really good things. So I, I, I've covered things which I don't normally see. So if you're creating space to do, this is actually, you know, you've done all your thinking, you've connected with your team, now you actually have to get stuff done, right? Um, so it's creating space to do that. And it's linked to high performance and managing change and transformation, which is going to be massive at the moment, and then delivering. And um, he talks about the importance of planning. Um, of course, it allows us to allocate our resources and gives a sense of progress. We all know that. But then he also talks about the Zygernik effect, um, probably not pronounced correctly, um, that humans have a tendency to fixate on unfinished tasks and forget those who've completed. But the reason he talks about it is studies found that people were less competent at brainstorming when the warm-up task was left uh, incomplete so when they didn't finish it but to free up their headspace to free up their their cognitive resources to carry on they didn't have to complete the task they just had to create a plan for how it was going to be completed and by creating the plan that was good enough to allow them to move on to something else so I thought that was very interesting and I suppose it's true though because we often do the plan and even though things never worked out that the way that we intended the benefit of the plan was allowed us to actually get going to get started so I just thought that was good and um, he made uh, some suggestions so obviously I suppose to me anyway um he's just smart goals right uh just for anyone listening specific measurable achievable realistic and time bound um he also suggested goal audits personal favor of mine um to audit your goals and make sure that they're still realistic and to share them with others. Um, then he moved on to once you have your planning done, uh, you have to make the space to deliver. So in terms of this, he again went back now to the four areas, like the temporal space, the physical space, the relational space, and the psychic space, right? So in the time piece, he suggested planning your week. Um, and I kind of rolled my eyes because I'm like, sure, I do this day and day out. But he had a new one that I hadn't seen before. So it was called the Entrepreneurial Time Management System. Um, and it's kind of um, a theming thing that you, you fill your week with three types of days. So you have a buffer day for all your smaller items. You have rest days where you minimize screen time. And then you focus days where you move to need like big projects. And I thought that even if you can't do for a full day, even if you blocked off your day, like parts of your days, like this is my buffer half of my day and this is my my um, focus half of my day thought that was a really nice way to do it without getting too micro down to the 15 minutes so that doesn't suit everybody so I thought that was nice um in the physical space he suggests 
obviously things like having headphones or quiet zones if we're in the office, um, setting a mobile to do not disturb, but a lovely one he included, which is minimizing the open tabs on the browser because they are noise, even though they don't make sound. So if you've lots of open tabs, they, they are noise. Um, and then he had some other suggestions. So eat the frog, uh, do the first thing first. Um, batch tasking, so to avoid multitasking and switching or focus, to do a lot of the same things together. And the Pomodoro technique. So um, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, you set a timer for 25 minutes, you work for 25 minutes, and then you take a break. Really nice for if you're getting distracted. Um, and then in the psychic space, and being the right mindset, he has prioritization, accountability, and expectations. Now, interestingly about prioritization, did you know, fun fact on the book club, when the word first entered the English language in the 1400s, it was used in singular form only. So you had a priority. That was it. Mm. Yep. And only in the last couple of hundred years, we decided to say, oh, we've two, we've three, we've four, we've five. I thought that was very interesting. Mm. So I think I'm going to go back to singular form for the priority. Um, and he also mentions uh, the four Ds. So you're going to do it now, you're going to do it um, later. Are you going to delegate it to somebody else or are you going to delete it? Um, when you're talking about accountability and expectations, he's basically saying, do I walk my talk? And where are my blind spots in terms of expectation management? So then the, the final space in this whole doing is the space to lead. So this is learning how to deliver through others rather than delivering ourselves. So he talks here about the third space. So I'm going to, I thought this was very interesting. Um, I don't know if you heard about the third space. It's, it's used, I suppose, a lot in different spaces, but it's, it's something co-created by you and the other person um, that is not simply a mix of the two, but something entirely new. And he talks about the marriage that like, if you know two people who are married, right? And if you know them really well. So I'm going to have a pretend marriage now between John and Rob, right? So you might know John really, really well and you might know Rob really, really well, right? But but their relationship together isn't just an amalgamation of the two of them. It's something completely different. It's something that they created as a third space, which is why you might never understand the marriage and why they're married, even if you know the two of them really well, you just can't. So that's that's the idea. And I hope you're very happy together. So what he says is you have to ask, what is your role in creating this space? So do you tend to fill it? Do you tend to um, ask all the questions first or give all the answers first? What do you give into that third space? And what effect does that have on the other person? Might be good, might be bad. But have you ever asked? And when you're looking to create more space, you should be managing the third space around you. And I thought this was really important. In a thoughtful, self-aware, strategic way. Otherwise, others will fill it for you. Or if you're a leader, you fill it too much yourself. So, yeah. So the third space that we share with others is key. So he asks kind of questions like, what is my job now? Or what isn't my job now? Right? What do I need to stop doing? And he moves on to talk about delegating. And I just thought something which was interesting that he said is, if support and advice is needed, resist taking the task back because it was worthy of delegation once it still is. So rather than, you know, taking it back, you should give 
give the person the support to not disempower them. So if you're going to delegate it once, don't take it back. Keep the monkey on the other person's back. So with all that, then we come into the space to be. So we're we're now kind of stepping back and looking at um, space to dream, space to balance and space to grow. So this links to leadership qualities of better work-life balance and sustainability and resilience. So dreaming is something which a lot of us, I suppose, forget to do or are probably too busy to do it. Um, but it's, it's, it's really important to follow your curiosity um, and to understand your purpose. But he says, to think of purpose not as something that you have to like pin down and like say, my purpose is, you know, in an elevator pitch, um, but as something to kind of explore and experiment with and, and to really allow yourself to, to, to play with it, I suppose. Um, and in, in, he kind of gave some suggestions if you wanted to do that. So one would be to start with the why. So if anyone has looked at Simon Sinek's TED Talk, uh, start with why. Um, it would be to uh, look at that and maybe create space to ask, why are you doing stuff? And explore those questions with uh, with somebody who knows you really well so they can call you out if you're kind of, you know, talking about things that aren't true or parts of yourself that, that core pathogenic beliefs again, right? Going back to things that, that have been in the past. He suggests dreaming of death. If I had six months to live, how would I want to spend the time? What would I let go of? What would I keep? But then again, my favorite, kind of back to the what age are you, what age do you feel? Uh, one earlier, he says, how does it feel? How do I want to feel in my life? How do I want to feel in my body? How do I want to feel in my home? How do I want to feel in my work? How do I want to feel in the situation? And just taking the time just to really think about that. And move on from look at balance. So creating space to find the balance between work and life so that you can be more successful at both. Um, I do come to my favourite part. Um, so he talks about the wheel of life. Um, so um, you can Google the wheel of life. It's a standard coaching tool, but what it does is it looks at all the different areas of your life. Um, but he talks about something like called the daily six, which I thought was really nice, which is that you write down six things, small things that you can do to kind of support work-life balance. Um, so it could be, I'm going to have three glasses of water. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to turn off my phone for 20 minutes. You know, just simple things. And check them off as you do them. And you might not get all six done every day, but it's to be always aiming for a daily six. And maybe being aware of the days that you only get to two or three and the days you get to five or six. So something really simple that you could probably do. And he also suggests that if the wheel of life isn't for you, that you maybe think about things in terms of buckets. So you have three buckets, a vitality bucket, which is your health and everything, your connection buckets for others, and then your contribution bucket. So how you contribute to society and the world. And then just ask yourself, how full are they and, and how can I fill them? So he finishes the book off um, with space to grow. And he says that there's always an opportunity cost to growth. And again, it's something I think we forget that you can't grow at the expense without the expense of something else. So for example, if you're taking a sabbatical to grow in one area, then your career may you probably won't grow right, while you're on sabbatical. Um, if you pursue a new career versus staying in an old one, you know, there's an opportunity cost there because there's a familiarity of the old that you're giving up, right? And sometimes you have to give up yourself, old parts of yourself if you want to keep going. So um, he has a quote here, um, which I just think sums up the whole book. 
um, which is we do not grow absolutely chronologically. We grow sometimes in one dimension and not in another unevenly. Um, we grow partially. We are relative. We are mature in one realm and childish in another. The past, present and future mingle and pull us backward, forward or fix us in the present. And I was like, yeah. How often are we just trying to grow in every direction at the same pace by tomorrow? And not giving us, ourselves any space to think and to learn and to connect with people and just to get the stuff done. I just thought that was brilliant. So he suggests to try and remember that a little bit um, when you're going back to your reflection piece to have a number one meeting. Your number one meeting every week should be a meeting with yourself to review and reflect what you're doing. So how are you feeling this week? How's it going? Do I need to change anything? How's the next week shaping up? And he suggests doing it for 30 minutes a week to do a slightly longer one for 90 minutes every month. To spend a half a day doing it every quarter and a day every year. Just to keep an eye on that. And then he finishes with three gateways to creating this space. Um, a personal strategy, which is setting up your goal, drawing up a plan and reflecting on it. Raising your personal productivity, so making sure you get enough sleep. Uh, managing your time again, single tasking, developing those relationships. And above all else, adopting the space mindset. And I condensed this so much, I think I made it too short. Um, but that's it. So I can answer any questions you have on all the things I didn't cover. So is that okay? It's great. Yeah, no, definitely. Timing is perfect as well. 30 minutes is, is always good. Leaves a good bit of time for, for Q&A. Um, I'll ask one first question. It's probably more just about what I noticed. The, the cover of the book the, the number nine and the number 11 isn't on the clock. Any reason? Did he talk about that? Does that, anyone see that? No, Rob. <laughs> is it just my clock? Is it just the one I have? No, it's not. It's not just your clock, no. There's a couple of them missing. There's nine. Is it just nine and 10? Nine and 11? I don't know. No, there's more. So there is, there's a lot at the start. Yeah, it's weird. There is, there's literally like midnight and then there's like one and two. That's strange. Yeah. Do you know? Thanks, Rob, for asking me a really easy question that I can answer. Um, I just, I wonder. I just wondered if that was, if there was something in the book that was going to re- no, cover why no. that was there, something to do no. with being productive. No, unless it was the Pomodoro technique, but it doesn't even make sense for that actually. Mm. Maybe we yeah. can we can tweet him afterwards and see. We can tweet him after and say that you caught me out. First question at the gate. Yeah, we definitely should, Rob. Yeah. There are, 12, there are 12 uh, hours on the clock. They're just uh, spread out differently. Oh, very good. That's I'm never doing a book club again. If you kind of questions, I'm getting asked. <laughs> but, but you know what it is? I know what it is. No, he's making space, literally creating space. He, he's, he's, ah, uh, yes, of course. Around the clock, he's spreading the hours, yeah. He's creating space, Rob. It's the, the yeah, yeah. I just wanted to see if you knew that or not. Like, so, yeah. <laughs> I need more time to reflect on the cover. Yeah. Um. Obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I need easier question. Like Barry's your question, if you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I love the the even just the perspective on taking space, and you you went through the book really well in terms of what that can do for us. Just 
what would you say to people who are kind of almost afraid to make space? You know that you know, they need to fill every hour of the day. Some people are quite resistant to space. So what would be in it for in the book there that, that would be really useful for, for somebody who's maybe struggling with that? Yeah. And I suppose as a recovering workaholic, Jacqueline, I found uh, the book very interesting from that perspective. Um, he, the stories, actually. So um, the story on the reflection piece um, was of, I think it was, I think it was a reflection chapter, uh, was of a, a lady who wasn't succeeding in her career, although she was overachieving. She was putting in all the hours. She was doing everything, but she wasn't creating or creating any space to learn because she thought that she had to be seen to knowing it all and doing it all and, and, and not having any questions and I can do it all. And it was her not creating space that was actually holding her back. Um, and the book is littered with those stories of, you know, clients, obviously amalgamated stories that really show the, the downside of not creating the space. Um, and for people who are uncomfortable with doing it, um, I just think that 30 minutes at the end of the day is where to start um, the reflecting, I call it reflecting wrap up, you know, because you're just reflecting wrap up your day. Um, but there are some lovely stories in there about people just steaming ahead, steamrolling ahead. And it doesn't talk about them burning out. It talks about them not being able to get to the next level of their career or not be able to be successful because they're not actually creating space to do it. Love. Does that answer your question? Oh, magic. Yeah. Neil, what do you do in the 30 minutes? Do you write down your day's work or do you? Um, when I'm working from home, I actually exercise. So I do 20 minutes of exercise um, oh. and then I kind of, that does all my thinking for me. And um, then I just jump in the shower for a quick body wash and I jot down any tasks that came into my head while I was exercising and that's it. Because no, you just reminded me that, um, so I work from home every second day now in this mad time and uh what i missed is the drive home if i'm yeah. working at home I've a, I have a 30 minute commute and i always found i didn't realize it until now is perfect just to give you that space between the office and the home yeah. whereas when i get up from my desk at home and go to the kitchen I, there's no break <laughs> so you need to create space yeah. between that um so, like, even something as simple as jumping into the shower, yeah, yeah, will do it just to give yourself that 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 space in between, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people, John, have that issue. Um, but uh, I put it into my calendar in my work day, four thirty to five when I'm in the day job, and uh, that's when I do it. Yeah. Eve, how does that sit then in in the kind of corporate culture and brilliantly? You know? Does it? Okay. Yeah. And actually, they do have some examples in the book of people cancelling meetings to create the space and the people on the other end going, oh, my God, thank you, because I'm also slammed, you know. Um, I suppose there was examples in the book and also just my example is I'm very honest about the fact that I take 30 minutes every evening and I actually reflect by doing a bit of exercise or whatever. And there's no question of it because you're coming back with better decisions. You're coming back with a calmer person. You're coming back with more well-formed thoughts. And so um, I think Aoife that people are starting to acknowledge this. Um, there's, there's one or two more examples in the book that, um, you know, 
manager said, um, why are you doing, you know, why are you doing all this reflection? And the person said, oh, you're, you're going to get better results. And the manager says, oh, fine. We're going to deliver better work than work away, you know. And I think it focuses on this whole um, output focus, uh, the outcome focus, the time focus, I think, that we're shifting in China with the work from home. So I think it's that. Although this was written before, but yeah. Are we over communicating a bit so? Well, if I don't know how much, how much you communicate. <laughs> In, in general, you know, and in, in kind of corporate culture and this need to always connect and communicate and do we need to be creating more space in that? Well, I think, to be honest with you, like he has a whole section on that of having space to connect. So mm. there is a balance of that as well. And in fact, he talks about somebody who was finding it very difficult to to move ahead and it's because he hadn't invested time in the relationships and it was only after he went through his stakeholder map and even the outer circle and invested the time and actually really getting to know people that he, he he moved the needle and he was able to move forward I suppose what we have to be conscious of is making sure that third space that we're not taking up other people's space that we share with others with noise and that we're not overfilling it and I just think that's probably a personal thing that we'd have to look at with the relationships that we have at work and at home. Yeah. And I don't think that's the responsibility of any organisation. I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, great. Do you know, Niamh, around the decision-making? You yeah. mentioned that how many, um, how many decisions we make on food throughout yeah. the day. What's the thinking there in terms of you know, before, if I think back, I think that they said you should park in the same place in the car park every week because that yeah. reduces it. Uh, well, it was the other way around, actually, I think. It was, you, you know, you shouldn't park in the same place every week because you should join it up. Yeah. And then, then they came back and then they said you should park in the same place every day because you need to remove that decision so that your brain can be free, create space to think of other decisions, more important decisions. What are your thoughts uh, and his thoughts on that? Should we be trying to automatic automate as many decisions as we can, both in food and what we wear and where we eat? Or is that all part of the rich tapestry of our thinking? Well, I know what you're saying because I've also read those contradicting things where if you do take a different route to work or if you eat in a different place, then you are exploring your mind, opening your mind up to new possibilities and to new way of thinking and just not living your life in autopilot. So I know that's why that's been given. But we do have a huge issue with decision fatigue. He did talk about that case, um, the study that was done on judges and that um, immediately after lunchtime or the start of the day, they were more likely to give, I suppose, better decisions, right? Um, um, and as the day went on, they were, I suppose, tired and they just made quicker decisions and and, and had more guilty, I think it was at the end. But um, so there's a balance there. Um, personally, I do batch decision making as well as batch tasking. So I decide in advance for the week what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat. And then I give myself the freedom to change my mind if I want to. Now, Susan, you'd want to see my kitchen girl because I've got like a three roast of a meal plan. But like it is, I do think there is a balance between it of doing some bash decision making so you're freeing yourself up. And then, then you're just choosing whether or not you want to go off course every now and again. So it's finding that, that balance. 
Yeah. But it's interesting, I think, well, I'm going to speak mainly for my own family and, and anyone I speak to. Our mothers, when we were growing up, gave us the same food every day. Like the leftover on the of the roast on the Monday. We had the mince on the Tuesday. We had, yeah. you know, and where we spent half our day thinking about, well, what are we really? going to eat now tonight? And that does take up a huge amount of oh, thinking. Like you can edit this part out, no, if you want to write. But this is is my piece on. This is food. the gold. This is what people tune in for. So leave it. Really, in. right? Okay. In my house, we have a three week rota because. My boyfriend works shift work, so he's one week of days, one week of nights, one week of split. So I have three different types of week. So there's no part that's of doing my week. That's my life as well, Neil. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. So you've got three weeks, right? Three week rota, right? You decide what you're going to have for dinner on week one, week two, and week three. That is your week rota. There's enough variety there that you're not going to have the same thing every Monday. It's going to be a different thing every three Mondays. Then what you do is you create your master shopping list. Your shopping list. One, shopping list two, and shopping list three, based off your three weeks. What do you do then every week? You say, what week am I on? Week number one. Let me copy and paste my shopping list. Thank you very much. And off you go. Done. No decisions needed. In your weekly rota, you should always have a freezer night and a takeaway night, just in case. And then you're good to go. Good to go. I saved a fortune. Time, effort, headspace, money. Love it. Love it, like just go for it, and then you just always have the same breakfast and like soup for lunch by a soup maker and change your life 80 euro. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, but like you're right, like these decisions they, 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 they take up way too much headspace. Just just create a three week rota by a soup maker. And do you what, like when you do that though, what other decisions kind of keep become the replacing decisions that you need to make, and do you find if you solve for that, I know myself, a few things will come in over the course of a few days that become the, the pattern thoughts that I need to get better at deciding and I could solve them. But I, a new set of decisions become Always. the ones that come up. So, <clears throat> you know. But yeah. I think apart from that, Rob, is delegation decisions. So you have to put your boundary up to say, this is how much space I can, this is how much space I can fill with decision making. And for all those things that tend to creep in, are you letting them come in? Oh no, I'm not saying that I have a problem with it. I'm just saying it's a, it's an awareness that other things yeah, come in. That's it. That is the awareness. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's the kind of it, for me it's an acceptance thing. So I accept that I'm going to always have probably mm. predominant certain decisions rising to the top that are going to keep coming back up. Mm. And until I kind of was aware to say, yeah, I know that now. It, I'm, uh, you know, it is what it is in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. You kind of free you get you free yourself from over thinking about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the whole decision area is just. I think with the abundance of options we have these days and the abundance of distractions, it's just something which it's part it's part of life. But you know, there are definitely some practical things we can do to to limit it and give a give back the space to other things. Um, I'm sorry for the rescue rant, but like it's a huge pain point of mine for homes everywhere. Did he give any yeah. guidance on, like, talking about building habits, right? So there's lots of tools there, but how how they make them ingrain and stick? So interestingly, no. So he did not touch on habits at all. And I mean that. So um, literally he went through, um, and I, I kind of got into some of the stories now, so he went through the story and the creation of space, but what he didn't cover was uh, keeping that space. Um but Rob, I suppose it, he does kind of say it 
without saying it in the last piece, you know, he has that growth quote like that we're always changing and that we're always lacking in one area and and, and uh, maturing in another, and um, which really suggests that we're always, I suppose, going to be creating space and we're always going to be trying to form it. But no, he didn't talk about habits. And I was actually thinking that I got more benefit out of reading it the second time after listening to the Atomic Habits book. Mm-hmm. But I think there are two that if you kind of combined them, they'd be very powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, but he doesn't talk about it. Yeah, interesting. That's something that um, over the last few weeks at these book clubs that uh, I've, got, I've been struck by the books tend to drive on about this this habit building and habit forming and it just uh, it doesn't fit with me I think I've been thinking about it in between the book clubs and does habit making not remove this whole idea of serendipity and and the idea that you could discover something new tomorrow if you are parking in the same space and you are eating the same food, are you not missing out on so much opportunity? Well, I don't know, John. I always eat something different whenever I go to eat. <laughs> but just say in work, even if you're doing the same well, thing as right. work, but are you not missing options and missing uh, new ways of doing things? But I think that's why the book overall, if we go back to it, like we're, that's decision space, but he has four other spaces. So he has space to think the space to connect and the space to do, which is the space we're talking about, and then also the space to grow. And it's it's within that dreaming space and in that connection space and in that thinking space that, John, we should really be still doing all those things. But you can't do all of them. Like, you have to do a little bit of the doing as well in the decision-making and maybe it's like like the clock on the book, I suppose, you know, adjusting how much time you spend on each to, to best suit what you need right now, you know. But I think you're right. Like there's, there's a risk that we can be too, too much living off a habit and a checklist. But I think each of us have to find your own balance, don't we? Yeah, there's one phrase I remember, and I think it's attributed to Eisenhower or Patton or one of these American generals. You know, it's make a plan, and then the first thing you do is so throw away the plan. plan. Yeah, <laughs> but if the plan is in your head and you know it, you can you have you're free to throw it away and, and yeah. work away. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Plans are useless, but planning is indispensable or something. That's, like that. that's, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Leave. I have a question around um, what you were saying about reflection. So the reflect on your own and then reflect maybe by kind of rambling on to someone that will listen. Um, and we might all know a few people <laughs> who do that. And I might a bit of that myself. But um, if I'm the listener and maybe I'm a coach, what is the best response to someone who's in that reflection mode? to support them reflect well without maybe jumping in and trying to coach or support or question, etc. Yeah. So I think when he covered on that, he um, just kind of, he didn't kind of go too much into how you could be the listener, but what he did go just after it, Sarah, was the learning styles um, and how different people learn so that if somebody is rambling back at you or rambling to you, maybe you then would start to draw it difficult never coaching I would like start to draw it up and say is this what you're doing and has clarified them but he didn't go into too much of it he literally just said sit there with a blank piece of paper and let them off mm. let them off um and as somebody who who is actually that style myself I find that rambling enough if I'm given enough room to ramble I ramble back around to where I need to go so it'd be very low touch 
Yeah. And he didn't he didn't kind of say anything to contradict it. Sorry now for that terrible answer, but that's the way it is. Yeah. But I did think it was interesting that he he brought it up because you know it's not something which I would have seen before. Yeah, similar to yourself. I hadn't really heard of that as being no. reflect. And I think that's really good for people maybe who are the extreme extrovert who want to reflect in that manner I think it's given them space that well that's actually another way of reflecting so I think that that's it's really positive to teach people that and what I found really useful on a this is going to be the personal leave show tonight Rob right but I've just moved teams in my in, in my day job and I'd read this book already so I said to my new manager I am the kind of person that needs somebody to bounce things off who listen to me ramble for 30 minutes and I actually need somebody to do that because that's how I clarify my stuff. So can I get it from you or from someone on my team? And I never would have been, never would have even thought to ask that question if I hadn't read the book. Do you know what I mean? Like that's just, even just being aware of it, I just think that's so powerful that then you can just go, you know, decide if we're going to act on it or not, you know? So I just think it's really good. Absolutely. Niamh, there's a phrase, um, introverts think to talk and extroverts talk to think. Yeah, I always, I always say that in my presentations, and it's it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I love that actually. If I'm gonna, I'm going to borrow that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the power of the pause—that's what I learned from training as a coach. So I think maybe this answers your question, Sarah, too. Like if if you're coaching somebody and they they need that time to think, just Let- giving the power to that pause. And I'd be somebody who might want to jump in as well and fill it, but just to give them that space too, I think to think is is important for that type of person as well, you know. Yeah. Um, and I totally like non-coaching style note. I also find the voice notes brilliant for it because you're still talking, you're just not talking time. <laughs> so a big loud voice note is really good for those people if you don't have anyone to talk to. You never listen to that to back, of course, but you're just talking to something. So it's almost as good as talking to you. Or to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Any, is that, is that all right? Is there anything else? No. Could you give us that quote again about introverts and extroverts? Just like so you jot it down. Yeah. So introverts think to talk and extroverts talk to think. I forget who said it, but I didn't make it up. <laughs> oh, it's, a good one. it's a good one. Uh, can I give you, we, we did a an hour session in work recently about productivity hacks and some very interesting ones. <clears throat> a lot of the ones you've, we've talked about before, but I took down a couple that I haven't used yet. They're, they're quite interesting. One is, have you heard of a website called Focus Mate? Is that the one that tracks your clicks? No. No, I actually hadn't heard of it either, but it's effectively you sign up and it, I don't know if it's free, but you kind of sign up and partner with somebody that they would watch you for an hour while you work to kind of make sure you're focused. <laughs> Believe me, I thought it was kind of weird as well, but uh, it, it's an actual thing. So check check right. it out. Okay. And uh, there was another one then. It's called focusatwill.com. And with that one, it was um, a site. I think it was made – it was – founded by a, a drummer from some heavy metal band and a neuroscientist, I think. And basically they came up with an algorithm. They ask you a series of questions and they come up with the perfect um, 
background music that will help you focus based on the answers that you give. Brilliant. Uh, and there's That's a, free, a good one. A free trial. I haven't I haven't used it now. I just I actually answered the questions and it came up with some sort of music. Now I haven't actually started to listen to it yet. And there was an app as well, Focus at Will. Just two useful ones maybe for productivity. Let me know if you try the first one. And how, how yeah, I probably won't try the first one, but I might try the second one. Um, brilliant. And actually, when when you're, when you're finished recording, I have one more thing to do. <laughs> this would be in the um, the outtakes or the, the kind of yeah. premium DVD extras. <laughs> uh, well, is there any other questions before we officially end it? Yeah. Anyone want to, to magic? From my yeah. perspective, I know it's it's just really timely. Just those different different spaces, and, and sometimes for me, and sometimes you can beat yourself up on the doing space, but actually yeah. there's real value in it. But only if it's married and balanced with the other spaces as well. So that's yeah. in magic now. So so thanks a lot for for sharing. Yeah, it was really good, Neil. Thank you. It, it just keeps going back to the around reflection and the importance of reflection time and time again, you know, and yeah. um, whether it's 30 minutes a day, half half a day a month was it, and a full a full day a year, like that isn't something I'm the best at. So again, it was a good reminder of how important that all is. Yep, yeah, totally agree. Um Great job, Neve. Well done. Lots of notes again taken there. Uh, is there anyone interested in doing it in two weeks? I'm actually away, so I think, Deck, you'll have to navigate the ship. But uh, anyone? Um, Silence is okay, too. We'll, we'll find somebody. Don't worry. We'll create space and, and it'll, it'll happen. <laughs> Very good.